morning from God's Word on some things that I think will be an encouragement to us, certainly a help in the Christian life. Uh, one of the things that I fear so often, uh, I know this firsthand because I grew up in a pastor's home, is that sometimes we begin to uh, go through the routine of our Christian life, and it becomes, if we're not careful, it becomes routine, doesn't it? Uh, we begin to attend church not because we want to go or because we want to get something from God's Word, but sometimes we just start going to, uh, we keep going to church just because it's what we've always done, and we we have a tendency to get lethargic and kind of apathetic about our Christian life. And Paul told Timothy uh, that he needed to stir up the gift that was in him. And with that mindset being made, then that means that there is a danger of getting to a point where we're needing to be stirred once again. Those embers of those coals of our heart need to be stirred and fired up every once in a while. And uh, we, we plan revival services and we plan special meetings uh, to try to encourage us to have times in our life where we begin to come to the altar uh, of our hearts and say, Lord, I need to be stirred afresh and anew. And we're going to look at some things today that I think will be a help to us in this area. And if you're in that point where you find yourself or you've been there and you don't want to get there again today, hopefully it will be a help and a blessing to you. If you're here this morning and you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I would go to heaven. Can I tell you this morning that God loves you? And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In John chapter 3, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to say two verses later, that uh, he that believeth not is condemned already. And in verse number 17, it says that he did not come to condemn us, but that the world through him might be saved. And so if you're here this morning, God didn't come to this earth to condemn you as a sinner. He came to save you as a sinner. Amen? That's the great news this morning. You don't have to die and go to hell. And God's not willing that you die and go to hell. He came and gave everything he had so that you would not have to go there. And all he does is all he asks us to do is to put our trust, our faith, in that shed blood on Calvary. And to trust that and that alone for our salvation, not our works, not uh, our church attendance, not who we associate with, but just simply, Lord, I cannot save myself. I only can trust you for my salvation. And to put our faith in that and that alone. And if you've never made that decision today, our prayer and our heart's desire is that before you leave here today, you'll do that and you'll get that matter settled. And I uh, hope and pray that that will be of help to you this morning. The message will be primarily for Christians this morning, although it may help some Person that may be lost here as well. Haggai chapter number one, <coughs> excuse me, we'll begin reading in verse number one. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, uh, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. 
Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we ask that for the next few moments you'll take control of the service in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, more than anything in this world this morning, we want for you to work in our hearts. We want your Holy Spirit to be able to guide and to direct and to show us and guide us in all truth. Lord, it matters very little what I say or uh, what uh, things are brought out today from my mouth, but Lord, it matters a great deal what your Word says. And Lord, you've not promised that your power would go forth from the preaching, but that the power would come forth from uh, the Word of God. And so, Lord, we trust it this morning to do its work and for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts in an unusual way. And as we leave here this morning, that you would help us to rejoice in the fact that we've been able to uh, experience your presence and your leading in this service. We pray that you'll bless all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the nation of Israel in this book has just come through uh, several years prior to this, a great revival. In fact, it took place on the heels of Nehemiah, who was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem after they had been burned and sacked for numbers of years. And they had rebuilt the wall at one point to a point where they were almost complete. And the enemies of Israel came in and they burned them and sacked them again and just could not seem to get a handle on it. Nehemiah comes into the picture and rebuilds the wall in a record number of days. And a contemporary of his by the name of Ezra, who also has a book in our Bible that he wrote, uh, came on the scene as the spiritual leader and uh, opened the book and began to preach the book in all of the nation of Israel. This is an amazing story if you've never read it. You ought to take time to read it. It's not part of our message, but it's just a, a backstory for it to kind of help you out. But Ezra gets up and he opens the scrolls, and he opens the Word of God, the, the ones that they had at the time, and he began to expound and to preach and to give the sense thereof, the Bible says, and the entire nation of Israel had revival. Boy, wouldn't that be an amazing thing today? If a preacher would get up in the pulpit here in America and open up God's Word, and all of a sudden the entire nation of the United States have revival. Amen. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And by the way, it's not that God doesn't desire to, and it's not that God can't. Because God can do it, can't He? The problem is, and the hindrance is many times on our end of it. And yet, and Ezra gets up, he reads the Scripture, and revival takes place, and the children of Israel said, We will obey the Lord our God. We're going to follow after His Word. They had laid the foundation of the temple, which had been destroyed, and then it seemed like all the work seemed to stop. They were content with the walls being built. Their own houses had been secured. They were now defended against their enemies. Yet the house of God, only the foundation was in existence. And there was a number of years where that set vacant and no other work was done. And we find as we come to the first part of Haggai that God comes to Haggai in the time of Zerubbabel and, and Josedek and some of these folks uh, the high priest, and uh, so we find that these these folks uh, are in place, and God comes to them through uh, Haggai and says, Haggai, I want you to go and tell them, Thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. We find it two different times here. If you look with me in uh, verse number uh, 5 of chapter 1, the Bible says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Now he goes on to talk about why they needed to consider their ways and in what area. 
Then we come down to verse number 7. We find Haggai once again says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. The other day I was driving somewhere with my kids, and uh, we were planning on going uh, to a certain place, and I got talking with my kids. We were just carrying on normal conversation. And uh, my kids and I, in the morning time especially, uh, we, we uh, go to a particular place to eat quite often. Uh, some of you know, <laughs> know what place that is. And I go there for two reasons. One, it's cheap. And two, I don't have to do the cooking or the, or the dishes. And I'm thankful for that. So I take them there a lot. And we go there uh, several mornings out of the week, usually, it seems like. And uh, we were driving somewhere, and it was not to that place. We were just driving somewhere uh, that I needed to go to, and I'm talking with my kids. And all of a sudden, in the course of talking with my kids, I look up, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of this place where we go to eat. And I thought, how in the world did I get here? I I wasn't even heading this place. I I was going somewhere else, but I ended up in this place. And my my vehicle, and I guess just from habit of going there all the time, it seems like, I ended up in the parking lot of this establishment. And I I was embarrassed. And I looked at my kids and I said, what in the world am I doing? And, And I thought of that as I was thinking about the message this morning because the truth of the matter is in our spiritual lives, sometimes we get so used to what we do in our Christian lives that it becomes habitual and we don't put any thought into it and there's no heart involved in it. And God said when we get to that point, we need to stop and consider our ways. There comes a time in all of our lives where we need to stop for a few moments and say, Lord, am I doing this because it's habit Am I going through the motions of reading my Bible? Am I going through the motions of getting up Sunday morning and getting dressed and going to church? Or is there some stirring of my soul that the Holy Spirit works on me about? That when I get up on Sunday morning, my my heart is already in tune for the message of God's Word. When it comes time for me to read my Bible during the day, is my heart drawn to it? Or do I just simply look at the schedule and say it's time? And there comes a time if we're not careful, and I've been there before, and I'm sure if we went around the room and gave testimony, many could give testimony, that we can get to a point in our Christian lives where we go through just monotonous routine. It's what we've always done. It's what we'll always do. And we need to stop for a few moments and consider our ways. I'm going to give you three things this morning that I think will help us in our Christian lives. The first thing I think we need to do is be at the point where we consider our ways, where we stop. And we say, okay, I've been doing all of this. I've been teaching a Sunday school class. I've been driving the van. I've been leading the music. I've been singing in the choir. I've been attending the church. I've been going out and having my devotion. By the way, can I just stop and say this? We ought not to have devotions in our Christian lives, we ought to be devoted in our Christian lives. And, and, and when I say that, let me just say it this way. I mean that this, this way, that when we come to God's Word in our Bible reading daily, when it comes time for us to spend time in prayer daily, that we not do it as an event, but that we do it as part of the devotion of our heart. That when we come to God's Word, we say, Lord, I want to see you in your Word. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want to learn this thing. I want, I want there to be something that stirs my heart. Not just the, the punching the, the reading schedule off and saying, okay, I've got that done today and our time period is up for the day. 
And I don't like the idea or the term saying having devotions. Because it gives the idea that it's an event that we have to endure and go through. But instead, I think we ought to be devoted. When it comes to our time of Bible reading, to come to it with a heart that longs for God's Word. The Bible says in Psalm 1, in verse number 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law of the Lord doth he meditate day and night. Oh, that we would delight in God's Word. Oh, that we would delight in the things of God. Wouldn't that be amazing? We'd get the church calendar and we'd be so excited to see, man, I can't wait to see uh, when that church event is. My kids, sometimes they're looking forward to certain things that come up throughout the year. My kids, they want to know when Christmas is and they want to know when their birthdays are. They don't want to miss those two because they get presents for those. And they want to know when their days are out of school and they're excited about it. And they look at the calendar and they're like, wow, Dad, I can't wait. It's only two more weeks. It's only one more week. It's only three more days. It's only." And one of the things we got in the habit of doing years ago with our kids is we started counting them by the number of sleeps that we had to do. In other words, how many nights did we have to go to sleep before that event came here? And even to this day, Alyssa is 20 years old. And she moved up here this summer uh, to be back with us for the summer. And the other day, uh, before she moved up here, it was getting to be the, 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 a week or so away. I, I texted her at 20 years of age, and I said, how many sleeps left? How many sleeps left? And she told me. And then a few days later, how many sleeps left? And we were looking forward to it with anticipation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when it came to the things of the Lord, we could delight in it and say, boy, I just can't wait. Only three more sleeps, and it'll be Wednesday night. We get to come to church again and go through discipleship. Only two more sleeps. Only, only five more sleeps till we have the revival meeting. Only two and a half, uh, or let's see, only 35 more sleeps till VBS. I can't wait. No, not more than that. 49 more sleeps. Right? 49? 49 more sleeps till VBS. I can't wait. Man, the, the meetings this morning, we only have 49 more sleeps. We better hurry up and get ready. We need to get excited. We need to get stirred up about the things of God again in our hearts because there's a danger of us becoming apathetic towards the things of the Lord. The nation of Israel did. Man, they were excited. They just saw a miracle. The walls of Jerusalem being built and the gates set in a record number of days. 56 days, I think it was. <coughs> the foundation of the temple was restored. The Word of God was preached and revival swept across the nation. Can you, can you picture the excitement? I mean, the things that they talked about at the water well that morning. I mean, throughout the day, they would, they would meet somebody in a workshop and they would be talking about the great revival and what God had done for the nation of Israel. But over time, it became kind of forgotten. There needed to be a stirring. God came to Haggai. Aren't you glad God speaks up when it needs to be done sometimes? I wish we'd learn it without him having to, but sometimes he has to step in, doesn't he? And notice it wasn't just the preacher saying this. This was God coming to the nation of Israel. And God said, you need to consider your ways. He says, is it time for you, in verse number 4, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, when this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. And you earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. The first thing that will help us in our Christian lives is if we'll get to a regular point where from time to time we stop and say, God, search my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. See, see if there's something, Lord, that needs to be stirred up again. I remember times of great excitement in my spiritual life. Times that God was doing so many things. Uh, some people get up. I was telling some people the other day, I'm from down south, and they have a lot of camp meetings down there. And I've been in camp meetings where people stand up and start shouting and hollering when the preacher's being or preaching and, and God's beginning to stir the hearts of people in the service. And I've watched them as they stand up and they hold their hands up and they, pray, they shout. I've seen them climb up on a chair and shout. I've seen a man take off running around the auditorium because he couldn't stand it anymore, just shouting and thanking God for moving in his heart. We're from down, down south where we do some of those kind of things. But can I tell you this? There are times that our hearts need to be stirred. And I'm not saying we've got to get up and run around the auditorium like a knucklehead. I'm not saying we've got to stand up in a chair and, and make a fool of ourselves. But I'm simply saying this. There ought to come times in our hearts and our lives where God overwhelms our hearts with how He stirs us. And I don't know about you. I'm not one of the shouters. And I'm not one of the runners. But when God begins to stir my heart, my eyes begin to leak. And I'll sit there and I'll weep. And I'll say, Lord, thank you so much. I was going down the road yesterday. And God brought something to my mind. Just driving down the road by myself. I got so excited I thought I was going to have to pull off the side of the road. I'm thankful God stirs our hearts again. We need to consider our ways. Let's not get so used to going to the same place every day that even if we're trying to go somewhere else, even though we're trying to accomplish something else in our Christian life, we end up in that same old parking lot we always go to. Let's consider our ways. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will, to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Many people know it by heart and memorized it. A very powerful, powerful verse of Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. The second thing we need to do so we need to start confessing our sin. Can I, can I help you with something? And, and, and watch this. Don't miss it. When we stop to consider our ways, when we come, as the book of James speaks of, and look into the perfect law of liberty, and we start beholding ourselves and seeing what manner of men and women we are, can I tell you this? God will always show us, won't He? God will always show us what manner of people we are. And there will be some things that will be revealed to us. And I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes I don't like what I see. And there's sometimes that if I was of a certain mindset, I would be offended. I would say, God, uh, I don't think you need to be picking on me in that area of my life. But the truth of the matter is, it's needful, isn't it? 
that the Word of God teaches us in all truth. There's times we come to the Word of God and God begins to show us some things about holiness. <coughs> and we need to get to this place where we are not uh, resentful of that, where we are not offended by it, but we recognize it for what it is. We recognize it for the convicting of the Holy Spirit of God upon our hearts. And by the way, I hope we have conviction. If we don't have conviction in our hearts, one of two things has happened. Either we are not His child, or we have seared our conscience, and both of them are a bad situation. I hope, we're, I hope we are convicted. I hope there are times that our hearts are pricked. I hope there are times that we feel guilty about some things and ashamed about some things, and we have to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I hope that happens. God said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and I want you to notice this, and turn from their wicked ways. You know how many people today teach folks, all you've got to do is acknowledge your sin. No, 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 no. You've got to go further than that, don't you? Not only do you acknowledge it, you forsake it, you get rid of it, you confess it, you turn from it. I'm so tired of churches and pastors getting up and saying, well, all you got to do, my brother, is just acknowledge it, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your sin. No, no. We better get to our, our knees and our altars and say, Lord, help me to have victory over this. I don't want it anymore in my life. There used to be a time when pulpits were sharing very clearly the idea and the concept of sin. We live in a day and age where sin's not very popular to talk about in our pulpits. Hold your place here. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. I just finished the book of Ephesians here in my personal study. Just I enjoy reading through the Pauline epistles. And just recently, within the last week or so, finished up the book of Ephesians again. Look with me, if you will, in verse number, chapter number 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of the every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, in love. This I say, therefore, after we've all understood what God has done in our hearts and our lives. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. In other words, we're Gentiles, but we're different. We're saved Gentiles. Amen? We don't walk the way unsaved Gentiles do. You say, Brother Greg, is it important that we're separated and live a separated life and live a life that is holy and pleasing to God? You better believe it. You say, where is it? It's in Scripture right here. We just saw it, verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. People are teaching today, well, as long as you're sincere, it doesn't really matter how you live your life. I don't know what Bible they got that from, but they didn't get it from mine. Because we are told to turn from our wicked ways. We are told from God's Word that we are to walk no more as other Gentiles walk. Having their understanding darkened. Those are the ones that they don't even understand the things of God. 
They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Why would we want to walk like them? Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off uh, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You say, Brother Greg, this is a higher service this morning. We're preaching on sin. We need to. We're in a day and age where there's not enough preaching on sin. And the fact that Christian people, those that name the name of Christ, ought to steer as far away from it as they can possibly get. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, not too many people amen in that one. I'll tell you, we, we, we've lost it, haven't we, along the way? Our concern for sin. We've lost the sinfulness of it. We were reading in Proverbs this morning, the professor back here, Brother Randy, read in Proverbs. I think it's the next verse we're getting to. No, actually, we didn't get to it this morning. I was reading a little bit ahead, sorry. <laughs> read a verse ahead of it. We're going to get to it. About the idea that the worst sins that there are are the sins that somebody else has. They're not mine. My sins are, are small. But let me tell you something. I'll tell you, Brother Larry's sins, now, hey, they're huge, you know. Isn't that the way we think? Isn't that the way we think? My sins, no, 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 mine are okay. But everybody else's sins, boy, they're terrible. No, can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what sin it is, it nailed my Savior to the cross. The same price had to be paid. doesn't matter whether it was a little white lie or whether it's what we would look at and say it was an abomination to God. It still put my Savior on the cross. There are some things that will help us in our lives when we begin to stir up ourselves and begin to consider our ways. We need to learn to confess our sin. We need to come and see it the way God sees it. We need to begin to understand that sin is still sinful. I, I'm so, so tired of Christians saying it doesn't matter how I live outwardly. Yes, it does, my friend. The Bible is very clear on it. Christians that come around and say, well, Brother Greg, I can't be too different from the world or I won't be an influence to them. Can I help you with something? When we try to be like the world with the idea that we're going to reach them, here's what we're telling them. We know what your problem is. But because we live just like you do, we don't know what the answer is. What the world needs to see are some people who come out from among them and are separate and don't touch the unclean thing who say, I know what your problem is, and here's the answer. Here's the answer. We need to consider our ways. We need to confess our sin. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be done. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... I wish I had a whole sermon to preach just on these two verses, and maybe we will shortly. But Paul, writing to the believers in Rome, said this, I beseech you, and the word beseech here means with strong emotion. This is not simply asking a favor or saying, hey, if you don't mind, if you 
kind of find it within yourself to do it. It would be a favor to me if you could do this. Paul's not saying that. Paul is coming to them, and he says, I'm beseeching you. It's almost the idea of begging, where he kneels down and he says, Please, folks, understand this. We're missing it. Please understand what I'm getting ready to say here. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And I'm glad he put that in there because there might have been some hypocritical believer who said, well, who is Paul to tell me these things? The man who used to put Christians to death. Why should I listen to him? You shouldn't. You should listen to his Savior who's using him. You see, God put his hand upon Paul. Paul comes to him and he says, I'm not asking you for my account. He said, I'm asking you on the account of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that you present your bodies a living what? What? What do we do when we sacrifice something? I am not a fisherman by any stretch of the imagination. I don't catch anything. I don't care. Every fisherman that's been a great fisherman said, if you'll go with me, you'll catch something. We go, and they don't, they don't even catch anything when I go. It would help if I put something more than a sinker on the end of my line. But Could you imagine if we went out today and caught a fish? And I said, Lord, I'm going to give you this fish, and I throw the fish back out, but I kept the line attached to it just so I could pull it back in when I wanted to. That's what a lot of Christians do. Say, Lord, I'll give you my life. But we keep that rope attached to it. There's certain areas of it that we say, Lord, you can have all of it except for this. You can't have this one. This one's mine. You want to live the victorious Christian life, we need to consider our ways We need to confess our sin. And lastly, we need to consecrate our will. We need to say, Lord, my life is not mine. It is yours and yours alone. When we sacrifice, we lay it down and we let go and we don't touch it again. It's no longer ours. You see, the problem with the living sacrifice, I had a friend tell me one time, is that a living sacrifice keeps crawling down off the altar. We go around the room, I think we could give testimony to that, couldn't we? How many times in our life we've been to a place of decision where we've said, Lord, you have my life. You have all of it. But somewhere along the line, we, we kept coming back and saying, but I want this part. Lord, you can't have this part. I, I've got it. I want it. This, this one's mine. I beseech you, brethren. Not asking you, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God that you will present your bodies a living sacrifice. After all, Paul said, it's your exceptional service. It's, it's going way above and beyond the call of duty. Is that what he said? That, that's not what I have in my Bible either. Which is your what? Reasonable service? 
that's just what's expected? That's, that's not even going above and beyond. I mean, I thought giving my life a living sacrifice is asking such a great thing that this would be something that would be lauded. No. It's just what is expected of a Christian. It's just what we're supposed to do. We don't know what part of our life God may use. So we give it all to Him. We don't know what talents He may put to His use for His work and His glory. So we give it all to Him. I love the story of Ornan and David. As David had committed a sin and chose three days of the pestilence of God upon the land, the hand of God upon the land, the angel of the Lord came and killed over 70,000 Israelite men. Towards the end, because David had thrown himself on the mercy of God and said, I know that God is a merciful God. The angel of the Lord comes and the Bible says that he hovers over Jerusalem with his sword drawn, stretched out over Jerusalem, ready to kill the men of Jerusalem. And God says, it is enough. That's enough. Stop. And David goes up onto Mount Moriah, the same place where Abraham took his son Isaac years before. Oh, so much happened on that wonderful mountain. David comes to a man by the name of Ornan who's threshing his wheat on his threshing floor and he says, I would like for you to give me this place as a place of sacrifice. And Ornan said, you can have it. You can have the instruments of threshing to build the altar. You can even have the oxen for the sacrifice. And Ornan made this statement in Scripture. It's in your Bible. I give it all. Consecrate our will. Lord, you have it all. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to keep part of it for myself. We found three things this morning that will help us in our Christian life. Can I help you with this? They have to be done in that order. We can't consecrate our will if our hearts are cold and apathetic. We cannot consecrate our will if we have sin and own sin in our lives where we are not really burdened by it, not convicted by it. We must first consider our ways. We must confess our sins. And then we must consecrate our wills. And can I tell you, we will have a victorious Christian life. You'll have a life with so much joy and satisfaction. I'm not saying you won't have valleys, but you'll have joy in the valley. I'm not saying you won't have burdens, but you'll have satisfaction and contentment through the burdens. The victorious Christian life. Are you saved this morning? you trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, I would encourage you during the invitation to let us take God's Word and show you how you can be saved. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I know that I know that I'm saved. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Where are you at in this process? Some of us may be all the way back needing to have our ways considered. We may have grown so callous and apathetic towards the things of God that it just doesn't seem to matter anymore to us. Maybe we're stirred up and excited. We just don't know what to do next. Well, let's confess our sin. 
And then let's consecrate our will. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll use it. Lord, we've done our best to share it and to give the idea of it and the sense of it. But, Father, it matters very little if your Holy Spirit does not work in the hearts of people that are here. And so, Lord, we ask for the next few moments that you would help to lay aside any burdens or concerns on our minds as to the affairs of this life and to ponder the truth that we've heard this morning, to weigh it in the balances and to see what areas of our life and our heart need to be dealt with. And then, Father, to be yielded enough to the leading of your Holy Spirit that we're willing to respond appropriately to it, that we get the matter settled and taken care of before it's too late. Father, bless the invitation time we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. If God's spoken to your heart, our altars are open. If you need someone to pray with, we'll be glad to pray with you. If you'd like to come and pray by yourself, you're welcome to as our pianist and organist begin to play. Thank you. May lift your heads. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Folks, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, visitors especially, Brother Terry, good to have you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Love to invite you to come back and be with us again sometime. And I uh, want to remind you of the events throughout the day today. Uh, we have choir practice at 430.